time to take a look around the NFL with our weekly visit from John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. You need to see a dog make a play. No puppies. I need a dog to make a play. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And here we are kicking off hour number two of the show, and we do it with the great John McClain. It's always a pleasure to have him on the phone lines. And, John, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And, uh, you know, I, I know we always end up talking about Deshaun Watson with you, but he did talk to the media today. Uh, what, was your, what was your takeaways from what he had to say and the fact that he still, you know, has no doubt about it that he didn't do anything wrong when it came to these young ladies? No matter how many lawsuits keep being filed, civil suits to go to civil court or be settled, he says all of them are making it up. And I've read every lawsuit multiple times, Q, and they all tell a similar story about what he did or wanted done. Now, there's a lot of people out there because I have them tell me or I get emails or texts that they believe he's innocent, that he's being railroaded, that the plaintiff's attorney, Tony Busby, is behind it all. And, of course, there's a large segment that believe that when you have that much smoke, there's fire. But he's still uh, innocent till proven guilty. And it may be a long time Mm -hmm. before he's proved guilty. If you think about this, if we have these other two, that'll be 26. The plaintiff's attorney, Tony Busby, put out a release today and said said yet. In other words, there could be more. The New York Times reported that he had gotten 66 massages in a 17-month period. And in his initial news conference, he was asked by a reporter in Cleveland, why did you need more than 40 masseuses to give you massages? And he said, well, that was over a five-year period. It's not that many. Well, we never thought once it all started coming out, it was over a five-year period. It was less than a two-year period that we know of. And when you said 66, okay, could there have been more? Uh, could he have, could he have reached settlements with some that we don't know about? And when the Browns made that trade, Q, it's pretty obvious they didn't care what he'd done. They were only care about what he can do. And number one, when it's all behind them, and at some point it will be, then they have a great quarterback. Will this affect his play? Can you imagine, Q, what it's going to be like when he's the quarterback for the Browns and they go to Pittsburgh, Mm. they go to Cincinnati, they go to Baltimore, and they come out of the tunnel of things that the fans are going to be screaming at him. He's he's going to have to be mentally tougher than he's ever been. And every day it seems like there's something new. Yeah, it does. And it just is like you said, it seems like there's something new and it's not going away anytime soon. So we'll just continue to see how it all un- un- unravels and-, and how it all unfolds in front of our eyes. Again, we're talking with John McClain here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. The Raiders just wrapped up mandatory minicamp last week. I know other organizations are going through mandatory minicamp right now. John, everyone's not showing up. It's always because of contracts, but now they can't, they can't wipe away those fines that these guys get for not showing up. So how effective is holding out now, now that they have the fines that they have to pay? Well, first of all, let's talk about from a player's perspective. I never have trouble of players holding out. What is the recourse? They can be cut anytime. They can have three or four years left on their contract and be cut and be on the street. So teams have that right. So they have the right to hold out. Holding out of mandatory minicamp doesn't cost a lot of money. It still costs money, but not a lot. Now, 
if they don't report to training camp, it's $40,000 a day, and the fine cannot be forgiven under the 2020 collective bargaining agreement. So that's why you, Deshaun Watson showed up last year. Everybody was holding their breath because he and his people kept saying he wouldn't be there. He'd hold out regular season, and he showed up the night before, and he showed up every day so he would not get fined. And he didn't have to do what other players did, but they put him through his own personal routine every day so he wouldn't get fined. Now, some players would show up and claim a mysterious illness. Remember Jalen Ramsey, great cornerback, wanted out of Jacksonville. So he had some mysterious injury, and then he got traded to the Rams, got a contract, and got a Super Bowl ring, and that worked great. And his agent is David Mulligetta, who represents Watson. And I'll guarantee you, Mulligetta's telling Watson, well, look what happened to Ramsey. And uh, so at some point, they think Watson will be able to help the Browns win a Super Bowl. But when it comes to these fines, they're called hold-ins. You come in, and then you don't play because you have some mysterious ailment. The best one to have is a back injury because a lot of times it can't be pinpointed. As anybody's ever had a sore back, you don't know when it's coming, when it's going away, or sometimes what causes it. Right, right, right. That's why we can't go to work. Oh, my back hurts. Can't do it. Yep, can't do it, and they can't diagnose it. That's that's great stuff right there. John McClain is our guest here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. As far as Baker Mayfield, there's a report out that the Panthers are kind of getting serious about Baker Mayfield. Do you think that that's a, a road that we may see traveled for Baker, him headed to Carolina? Q, this is something I don't understand. David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, has more money than any owner in the NFL because Rob Walton is yet to be officially approved for the Broncos, Tepper will be number one. What is the big deal if he has to pay Mayfield $18 million? That's like you tipping a dollar at one of the casinos. <laughs> and we, and also, they said that, that he insisted the Browns pay most of the contract. You know, what, what's the big deal for the Browns? They're multi-billionaires. They can afford it to get rid of him. I know this. Mayfield's had four seasons. Two, when he's healthy, he played really well. Two, when he was injured, he did not. He's in the last year of his contract. He's had a huge chip on his shoulder. He wants to prove a lot of people wrong. His left shoulder surgically repaired. I would want Baker Mayfield if I was the Panthers and the team that I think has made the biggest mistake by not going after him at Seattle. Seattle is loaded at the skill positions. And they're loaded in the offensive line now after using first and third round picks on linemen. I think they could use him big time, and yet they got Geno Smith and Drew Locke, and Geno Smith is running first team. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I've been saying Seattle for a while, but Carolina makes a lot of sense as well. Baker's backed up against the wall. Matt Rule, we all know, is backed up against the wall there in Carolina. So I think both of those locations make a whole lot of sense. Now, John, in the last hour, we were talking about excitement level, and and Jason Fitz from ESPN was on our morning show today, the morning tailgate, and he was talking about how excited he is for this Raiders team. It's the first time he's been so excited since, like, 2016. And I was talking about when you kind of know – when a team like what a team is going to be with them not really playing that much in the preseason, how 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 far into the regular season do you think it takes before you really get a good idea of what a team or who a team is going to be? I've known Jason Fitz for years because he was a great musician in Nashville. He was the band leader and fiddle player of the band Perry. Do you know 
that Jason Pitts was playing a violin at Carnegie Hall in New York when he was seven years old. Wow. No, you didn't. Now you do. Right. And he gave up <laughs> all that because he wanted to talk sports and be a talk show host. And he's like you. You guys and so many others, you get fired up. Everybody gets fired up this time of the year. How many negative reports do you see coming out of OTAs? How many negative reports do you see coming out of mini camps? They're almost always good. We all get caught up in it. But in the case of the Raiders, you have a new coach, you have a new general manager. You have a quarterback coming off maybe his best season. You got Devontae Adams. You got players on both sides of the ball. They got firepower. The only bad thing is the division they play in. If you move the Raiders over to the AFC South, they'd be favored to win the division like Tennessee is. So I think everybody in Raider Nation should be pumped about this season. You know, no longer in Oakland. They don't have stadium problems. They've got great stadiums, great facilities, and they have passionate talk show hosts like you, Q. There you go. That's right. Facts. John McClain is speaking facts here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. How about Derek Carr? We know he's not the elite of the elite quarterback, but in your perspective, where would you, where would you kind of slot Derek Carr in at? Well, I wouldn't put him in the top five. I'd probably put him somewhere around eight to ten based on what he's done. It's so weird to me. that always has been this way. When his older brother, David, was a Texans quarterback and little Derek was hanging out on the sideline with his daddy, throwing the football around. He went to high school here before David got cut and the family moved. And it's so interesting that little Derek's so much better than his older brother. David might have been as good as Derek if he hadn't been with an expansion team that threw him to the Wolves as the first overall pick. And I think Derek is going to be so pumped playing with Devontae Adams. But something to keep in mind, a guy like Hunter Renfro or Darren Waller, you know, they got you can't double multiple receivers. And so Devontae Adams has to be doubled on every play. And so I think they're going to throw the ball really well. You're going to see Waller have a fabulous season. And Renfro, who just got $16 million a year, you're going to see him have another fabulous season just because Devontae Adams is, is in the lineup. What do you think about Darren Waller? He looks like the last guy that's, that's up for a contract extension. Even though he's got two years left on his deal, he has no guaranteed money. You know how that goes in the NFL. What do you think this new regime does with Waller's contract? Well, first of all, He's a great comeback story because of all the pitfalls he negotiated and turned his life and his career around. He is a tremendous threat, as you know. You don't want your threats to get away. You know, Derek Carr wants to make sure he's back. As the Rams have shown, if you got good cap people, you can sign your best players. And I think if the Raiders reward Darren Waller, it sends a great message to the rest of the organization. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they've been I mean, they've been taking care of everybody. Crosby, Carr, Renfro's been taken care of. I mean, they've been doing a really good job with that. So I think that that's going to be up next on the list. And and John, when I look at their contracts, the way that they set up Adams, the way they set up Carr and Renfro, to me, and I've been saying this for a while now, it's like a 3-year window that they're giving themselves to get it all done. Every team in the league doesn't have their belief that they have a window at all. But the Raiders, in my opinion, look like they have a 3-year window. How encouraging is that for the fan base to know that the team has high expectations for themselves? Well, there's no way they couldn't based on what happened last season and the new regime coming in and people are fired up for Josh McDaniels because all those Super Bowl rings 
that he has, and it's his second time around. He's got a lot to prove as a head coach. Dave Ziegler has a lot to prove, just like Nick Casario did last year when he had been Ziegler's boss and he came to Houston. So no wonder everybody's fired up, and it's not just the fan base. The organization is pumped, and they should be. Right. No doubt about it. We're talking with John McClain again, formerly the Houston Chronicle here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Uh, how about around the league? Odell Beckham Jr., he tore his ACL in the Super Bowl. He's a free agent right now. Uh, when do you think realistically he would be available for this upcoming year? Uh, nobody has any idea. I mean, you, what he did, they don't need him right away. They don't need him when he's 90 or 95%. He needs to stay with the Rams. They've said they want him back. He knows everybody. He knows he's got a chance to win another ring. You're not going to get big money come off an injury like that. So he needs to go back and love love football life again. And and I was thinking about the Raiders, the, the weapons they have at the skill position, how they went to great pains to rebuild their offensive line. If Josh Jacobs can have the kind of season that he had early on. There's not many teams that have more offensive firepower than they did. But unfortunately for them, most of them are in the division. Now, the Chiefs letting Tyreek Hill go, I don't care who steps up, and maybe they'll average 50 points a game, but defenses in that division let out a big sigh of relief when Tyreek Hill went to Miami. So they don't have the same firepower that they did. The Chargers do. The Raiders do. The Raiders have added. The Chargers have added. The Broncos have added through Russell Wilson. So not only is it a better division, it's more of an offensive division, and scoring points is what the NFL is all about. That's why the AFC West should be so exciting. What did you think about Tyreek Hill saying that uh, Tua was more accurate than Patrick Mahomes? Oh, he's saying that for Tua Tagovailoa and the confidence factor. He knows he's been with him in practice when nobody's rushing Tua. Give me a break, (laughs) and hopefully he texted uh, Patrick Mahomes has said, hey, uh, don't pay any attention about what I'm going to say on my first podcast because it's all about building up to his confidence. And I'm sure he probably does. But on the other hand, that puts so much more pressure on Tua, who's been hurt every season he's been in football. And now they've given him the weapons. Miami expects to improve. Miami expects to put pressure on New England for second place. Nobody's going to threaten the Bills for the AFC's title. But Tua, there's not many quarterbacks that have more pressure on them than he does simply for the fact that he has not been able to prove himself. You know, people sometimes overlook the fact they took Tua before the Chargers took Justin Herbert Mm -hmm. today. Anybody in their right mind would take Justin Herbert. No doubt, no doubt. I say that all the time on the show, that right now in Miami, they're still angry and still salty that they don't have Justin Herbert. Instead, they have Tua Tagovailoa. John, we'll get you out on this. Amazon is making a huge push to be big-time players in this NFL broadcasting, their Thursday night specials that they have, bringing in a lot of really good talent as far as play-by-play, sidelines, pregame show, postgame show. Uh, How big is Amazon trying to make this thing be for uh, Thursday night football? I don't think they want to reinvent the wheel, but I do think they want to uh, add to the coverage, the traditional coverage. The first game they do is going to be in Houston against the 49ers in preseason. That'll be the only preseason game anybody cares about with the Texans. And if Watson's suspended for the season, that game's going to get more attention nationally than any other game the Texans play. And I can't wait to see it. 
One of my favorite broadcasters is, is Kirk Herbstreit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the guy does a great job on game day and as an analyst. You talk about a guy that's not going to sleep for like four days a week, it's going to be him. They've got credibility. They've got a lot of good people working up there behind the scenes. I can't wait because you know this, Q, and we don't hear this much anywhere we work. Money is not an object. <laughs> right, exactly. We sure don't hear about that around here. <laughs> we, oh, we I th- thought that's how they got you out there. They said, Q, <laughs> when you're considering our offer, remember, Money is not an object. Man, I, I, I got to go back and re-listen to that conversation because I don't think that that was part of it. <laughs> but I'll take it. I'm glad to be here, John. You know I'm thrilled. I've been doing backflips since I got here. So this has been a ton of fun. Well, John, great stuff as always. Uh, what are you working on these days that I got to be on the lookout for? Well, I still do uh, four talk shows on the Texans flagship in Houston, Sports Radio 610. And then I have my other talk shows. And then I tweet a lot. Yep. I tweet. I'm going to be tweeting. I've picked up followers since I retired from the Chronicle. So I tweet whether it's about movies, practice, anything else. It's McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Q, thank you very much as always. Happy Father's Day. I know you're going to be getting a lot of good gifts from your kids. And I hope you have a great day, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, John. I appreciate you so much. The great John McClain right there, formerly of the Houston Chronicle. Uh, well, well deserved. I mean, you want to talk about credibility. That's a dude right there that'll bring you all the credibility you need. John McClain has been there, done that for a very long time covering the NFL, and not to mention just a hell of a dude as well. It's just a, a guy that I'm happy to say is, is my friend. Not only a guy that you know is on the show with us every week, but he's definitely my friend and has been uh, very integral. Uh, I think that's how you say the word, but that's uh, he's been very important in helping me get here <laughs> into this role here in Las Vegas. 317 is a time we'll come back take your calls and text this is red nation radio 920 the ocean has healing properties just be immersed in nature like that it just it really makes me happy and just your whole body feels so great when you get out of that cold water it really is my happy place besides the hardwood clay thompson right wing three yes sir clay thompson's got 21 the lead equals the largest of the night at 16 Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, here's your boy, Q. His mama named him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. That's Clay Thompson right there talking about being an Aquarius, being in the ocean. It's a healing place. It's better than a cold tub. It's better than, you know, it's better than being in a pool. Him being in the ocean right there in the bay, that was uh, audio courtesy of the Warriors Radio Network, and uh, that comes off the heels of their victory last night to take a 3-2 lead in the NBA Finals. And we'll have Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe. She'll join us in a matter of minutes to talk all things Game 5, what she saw there as she was at the Chase Center in San Francisco, and then also give us a preview for Game 6 that takes place Thursday back in Boston. But we've been getting your calls and texts, 702-365-9200. We've been trying to gauge your expectations and your excitement level. And this all came from me here and Jason Fitz talking on the morning tailgate this morning. And uh, that's why I like love to tune in to, to multiple radio shows so I can, you know, hear what's going on and, and, and really uh, see what others are talking about. And Jason Fitz is a guy that I've, I highly respect. And so whenever he's on, I'm definitely going to listen. And he was talking about how excited he is for this upcoming season. As a matter of fact, he said he hasn't been this excited for a Raider season since 2016, and that was the last time before last season that they went to the playoffs. And that year, I really thought that, hey, you know, if, if, if they're 
there's a healthy Derek Carr, sky's the limit. Who knows what they're going to be able to do because they caught fire and they were just rolling. It looked like there was no game that they were ever out of and they had an opportunity to just win everything. But we all know what happened when Derek Carr got injured on that Christmas Eve game against the Indianapolis Colts. So some, as just when Wendy, she chimed in earlier on the show, she said, I want to be like Fitz. I want to be excited and fired up. But, you know, there's a part of me that just says, ah, we've been down this road before and something always happens. So she's hesitant. And that's okay. So I've been throwing it out there. You know, are you fired up like Jason Fitz? Or are you? do you have some hesitation? Do you have some reservation in your voice because, you know, you've been there, done that? Mailman Raider hit us up on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. And you can also chime in that way any time of the show. We have a guest on. doesn't matter. We'd love to hear from you. Again, 69187, the keyword is R&R. And he said, I can already see the Raider Nation signs when Watson comes to Vegas. No happy endings in this game. Laughing my ass off. I like that. That's a good one, Mailman Raider. And, yeah, you just designed about 1,800 different signs that are going to be out there and available. Uh, We got another text from the 707. There's a big difference between hopes and expectations. And for most of the last 20 years, I've started every season with the hope that the Raiders would be good. But this season, I expect this team to be a playoff team, and I think the team does too. I love that text. Because there's many years I've gone into it and I've hoped that the team was going to be really good. I've hoped that the team has an opportunity to make a run. I've hoped that, you know, Derek Carr was going to be able to put in a hell of a performance. I hope Josh Jacobs was going to go over 1,000 yards. But this year, like the 707 text, I believe, I expect this team to make a playoff run. And this is based off of what they did last season. Once they made the playoffs last year, with everything they went through, I went into the offseason saying, okay, all right. Now it's it, now now the playoffs are expectations. You built the team up, you built the team up, you cut it all the way down, you know you brought it down down to the nuts and bolts and you built that thing up. Now it's now you have tasted what the playoffs taste like. Now go taste what a playoff victory tastes like. Now taste what it feels like to go on a playoff run. And just like Cincinnati proved that they could do it in one year, why can't the Raiders do it in one year? I would say that they have just as good if not better skill players than Cincinnati does. So I think that there's an opportunity. So I like I like that text, man. That's a really, really good text. Uh, Mailman Raider hit us up talking about the expectations of the season. He said, I think I was a bit more optimistic going into last season. We were going into, what, year four grew? So we had continuity. Another new regime and system has me wondering how fast the offensive defense will get it down. Not worried about special teams at all, though. I'm going to go game by game this season. That's from the Mailman Raider talking about the expectation. That's fair. They did have continuity. That was the one thing that you knew. You knew who was going to be there. Gruden was going to be on the sidelines. You knew that Basachi was going to be special teams coach. You knew that Greg Olson was the offensive coordinator. You knew that uh, you had Gus Bradley as a defensive coordinator. I mean, you did. You had a lot of, of continuity. Of course, Gus Bradley, that was in his first year. But you still felt pretty good about what he brought to the table. So I, I get it. That's, that's going to be the biggest challenge for the Raiders. And that's why they have an extra preseason game. And I think that that's going to help. Not with Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro getting on the same page. But I think it'll help Josh McDaniel just get back into the swing of things of calling plays on the sideline as the head coach and kind of managing games, right, and, and, and situational, situational football. I think that that fourth preseason game, that Hall of Fame game, is actually going to help him. Again, it's not going to help. Most of the guys that play probably won't even be on the team. There's going to be guys that, you know, there'll be a handful of guys that don't even make the team that will play in that game. And that's okay. But I think for the coaching staff, for the regime, I think that that's going to – that will help, you know, trying to start to get on the same page and understand the language. Derek Carr will stand there with the earpiece in and understand the language of what Josh McDaniels is saying and be able to stand there and see what he wants to see as far as execution. That should go a long way. Uh, let's see. You got one more text. Vegas Pete said, this is for Wendy and others. 
Be like the Raiders. Don't get too high when you win or too low, too low when you lose. Pride and poise. That's from Vegas Pete. That's easy to say, brother. Because <laughs> I'll tell you last night, I was, man, I was on a high, then I was on a low, then I was high again. You couldn't tell me nothing after the game was over. I was good. But there was a minute there in that third quarter when I thought, oh, damn, the wheels just fell off. Warriors about to go back to Boston down 3-2. And I'll tell you right now, if they had, if that was a scenario, they were going to Boston down 3-2, I would say it's church. I would just say straight up church. Boston's going to go home, close that thing out, and the Golden State Warriors are going to have to go back and think about what happened in game one. I was already thinking of how I was going to break it down, right? I mean, that, that's how my mind works. All right, how are we going to break this one down? How are we going to talk about it? How are we going to analyze it? What happened here, there, and the other? And luckily, the fourth quarter and Andrew Wiggins came alive. I'll tell you right now, if you had told me before the game that Steph Curry was not going to make one three-pointer but the Warriors were going to win, I'd call you a liar. Especially after a 43-point performance that he had on Friday night. I would have straight up called you a liar. But that's, in fact, what happened. And we'll be talking to Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe in a matter of minutes. She'll get her thoughts on uh, Game 5 and her expectations for Game 6. How about Eric in the 701? He said, Q, great show on an everyday daily level. My optimism and excitement for this season is higher than the announcement of Gruden 2.0. This new regime is rolling, and Raiders will roll. Gruden gone is a godsend. That's from Eric in the 701. And you know what, Eric? Thank you for that text. I've heard a lot of people say that, and I never want to see anyone lose their job, and especially we all know the circumstances that, that went into it. I never want to see anyone lose their job. But there's a lot of things that probably wouldn't have happened if it was still on Gruden's watch, right? So I understand what you're saying. I'm, I probably wouldn't consider it a godsend just because, again, the way that it all came about was – Less than ideal for, I think, everyone involved. But I think turning the, turning the page to a new regime is definitely a good thing. Right now, let's go to the phone lines, talk to Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe. You can find her on Twitter at Nicole C. Yang. And, Nicole, thanks so much for your time. I was talking a little while ago about Game 5, and I said if you had told me Steph Curry was not going to make a three-pointer and the Warriors were still going to find a way to win, I would call you a liar. But that's, in fact, what happened. What were your thoughts as you were at the Chase Center watching that game go down? I mean, it was just such a wasted opportunity by the Celtics. They showed up, and they looked like they didn't want to be there. The Warriors came out amped up with so much energy from the jump, and the Celtics just couldn't really put up a fight. They had that third-quarter run, which was very impressive given how they performed in the third quarter throughout the series, but they couldn't hang on, and even with Steph just struggling offensively, the Warriors still got it done. Yeah, they did. And, you know, something that caught my attention that you said is that, you know, the the Celtics didn't come out with the energy and excitement and almost like they didn't want to be there. How is that possible in a, in a NBA Finals when you know what's on the line? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's something that they can't even answer. I think with this team, they seem to play best when their backs are up against the wall. They haven't really been able to handle prosperity well. You know, they had a chance to close out. Miami in six, and they had to go play game seven. They had to play game seven against the Bucks. Like, they just seem to like to make things as difficult as possible. And Jason Tatum said the other day, like, we promise we don't do this shit on purpose. Another example. Yeah, it really was. Again, we're talking with Nicole Yang here from the Boston Globe here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920, talking all things NBA Finals. And as far as Coach Adoka goes, how can he get back to Boston and, and, and make adjustments? What kind of adjustments can he make to get these guys fired up? They'll be playing in front of their home crowd, so that should help. But how, how can he make some adjustments himself? 
So that's what I'm worried about for the Celtics is that they might just be I it's so they're definitely not out of adjustments, but they're definitely like on their last legs here. Like you look at Ime Odoka's rotation by game five and he's basically rolling with seven guys. Grant Williams is playing sixteen minutes, Peyton Pritchard played just four minutes. Like he's really rolling with a tight rotation. And I think these players are just exhausted. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both playing 44 minutes. Only one player on the Warriors, Andrew Wiggins, is playing above 40 minutes. Like, the Celtics have had a lot of games. I mean, that's the downside of making things difficult is you probably have to play more games than necessary. They're coming off back-to-back seven-game series, and now they're going toe-to-toe with the Warriors who are just constantly on the move with their offense. Like, keeping track of them defensively is no easy task. So, for... For adjustments, I think they just need to start shooting threes. And that's how they pulled ahead last night in the third quarter. They made eight three-pointers in a row. That's not necessarily sustainable, but they just need to get those shots up. In game one, that's how they pulled ahead in the fourth quarter, just making threes, getting open. So it's going to be tough, but I I am concerned about what, what moves you know, I find that interesting because, again, they, they have been hot from three-pointer. Like you mentioned, rolled off eight in a row last night when I thought, oh, man, the sky's falling. The Warriors aren't going to be able to recover mm-hmm. from this. Why is it such a struggle when Tatum, who's a big, strong dude, athletic dude, when he goes to the rim, bad things happen. Like, he's he's not as successful as I feel like he should be. Why is that? Yeah, it seems like sometimes when Tatum drives to the rim, he lacks purpose, and he's either just trying to – draw contact or get a foul call and that's been a big issue with the Celtics all playoffs is that they just constantly are begging for calls and they're constantly whining to the officials and Ime Udoka will lay into them especially when they're not getting back on defense and instead just complaining to the officials about a lack of a foul call and I think Jason Tatum definitely gets caught up in that so sometimes I think he'll just drive to the rim and instead of actually going to the basket, he'll just try and draw contact, and it, it doesn't really work. Another thing is that he could be still dealing with a little bit of a, a shoulder issue. So he suffered a stinger in the Miami series, and he was only on the injury report for one day, and Emi Odoka insisted it was just a, a stinger and nothing significant. But every once in a while, you see him take a little bit of extra time and hold his shoulder, like rub the, the back of his um Next, So I wonder if that's bothering him a little bit, too. But part of it, too, is just Andrew Wiggins has been playing great defense on him as well. Right, right. No doubt about it. We're talking with Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Let's talk about Andrew Wiggins. He puts in a monster performance offensively, but as you mentioned, has been playing strong defense. And he did that against Dallas. Even though Luka was still scoring his points, he had to earn them. So I thought that that was a big deal. How how effective and how, how much of a, si- a thorn in the side of the Celtics has Andrew Wiggins been? Oh, he has been great. And I think he has provided exactly what the Warriors need in terms of length in terms of athleticism versatility he matches up against tatum tatum has not been having a good series last night was his best night and it still took him 20 shots to score 27 points i don't think his first field goal came until like two minutes left in the first quarter so andrew wiggins is making things difficult for tatum and Jalen brown and he's on top of that offensively offering secondary scoring like i think wiggins has 
really shown up this postseason. And, and on top of that, Clay Thompson mentioned he makes Clay's job easier because now that Wiggins is taking Tatum, Clay can take Jalen Brown. And Clay has, even though it got off to a, a rocky start this series, has really shown up defensively too. And I think he's had two of his better games in terms of staying in front of Jalen Brown and making things difficult for him, too. You know, I'm a guy that went to the Oracle Arena all the time. Way back in the day, when it was just the Coliseum still, I was always there. And it it had an atmosphere unlike any other. Chase Center is not quite that. But I understand it was pretty loud. It was pretty rocking last night. What was the energy and the vibe like there at the Chase Center? Well, when the the Warriors got off to that 24-8 start, they were – rocking like they were on their feet they were so amped up you could tell the players were feeding off of it they were gesturing to the crowd to get louder and then when Jordan Poole hit that buzzer beating three at the end of the third quarter it was it was going crazy everyone was on their feet and so they definitely have a really strong home court advantage and I think it's like the Warriors have um retook home court advantage as well it's the Celtics blew that opportunity too, so um, I think it, it'll make a big difference. Yeah, no, it, it, it does make a big difference when they're out there cooking and, and that crowd is really going. So with that being said, what are your expectations for the crowd in Boston game six Thursday night? Uh, you know, it's win or go home for the Celtics. So what do you think that crowd's going to be like? I think they'll still be amped up for games three and four. You know, they showed up. They had some of those chants that Draymond and Clay that the Warriors didn't really like, but I think they'll still be loud, and I think they'll be ready um, to cheer on their guys. It'll be interesting to see how the Celtics start, whether they can get off to a better start, whether they can come up and look motivated and look like they want to be there and they want to fight. I think one thing that's been true of these Celtics this playoffs is that there's been very little carryover from game to game since the Milwaukee series, really. It's just been each game has been its own identity, and own entity, and it's been difficult for them to string together momentum. So we'll see if they can just bounce back and put forth like a strong effort in an elimination game. Yeah, well, they've been they've been there, done that before. They've they've had that situation in front of them multiple times. They found out a way to to come out on top of it. And that's all they need to do: win one day, uh, get to Game Seven, and see what all happens. Well, Nicole, great stuff as always. We definitely appreciate you. Uh, thanks so much, and enjoy Game Six, and we'll see what happens. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. There she goes. Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe on Twitter at Nicole C. Yang breaking down game five, a little expectations for game six. And, you know, that, that to me, it really blows my mind to hear that they came out and they didn't look like they had the energy and they didn't look inspired. And they, you know, almost like they didn't want to be there. I don't understand how that's even a possibility in an NBA finals with everything that's on the line, knowing that you're a couple games away from being a champion. I just could never imagine a team not going out with that, that kind of that kind of mindset and that kind of energy. You know, I just I just don't understand it. But hey, that was that was uh, from Nicole's point of view uh, as she was at the Chase Center last night, witnessed the Warriors. Even though Steph Curry has no three pointers, still come up with a, a victory, find a way to get out of there with a dub, and head back to Boston with an opportunity to close things out in Game Six. And look, I even as a Warrior fan have no expectations for the Warriors to go to Boston and win this game six. I really don't. I'm I'm very skeptical of them going to go in, but that's why I'm glad that they have this extra game, a little bit of a wiggle room, and then I think that they're going to have to try to close that thing out in game seven at home. But I'll tell you, 
what I want and what I prefer. <laughs> I was in a meeting earlier here to, at the radio station, and one of our sales guys, actually our sales manager, said, hey, uh, I got tickets to Game 7. And I said, I hope you don't need them. <laughs> I hope you don't get to use those Game 7 tickets because that's the last stress that I need in my life is a Game 7 for all the marbles. I mean, we all know that those are the best games ever. Those are the best games ever when your team is not playing in them. 341 is the time. We'll come back. We'll take your calls and texts. 702-365-9200. Salmon Ash text line 69187. Keyword R&R. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. When it comes to the most dominant, Wilt, myself, the GOAT, you always got Kobe, LeBron, and Mike. When it comes to the greatest shooter of all time, Steph Curry is in there by itself. So does that make him top 10? In my opinion, it does. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, here's your boy, Q. That was a great Shaquille O'Neal right there talking about the chef, Chef Curry, greatest shooter of all time. I'm okay with that. I never really get into the top 10, top five, because there's greats all over the place. There's greats walking the earth that are just fantastic. So it's hard for me to just number guys, but when it comes to chef and the way he shoots, man, he's second to none. Been talking a lot about Raider expectations. Jason Fitz was on this morning with the morning tailgate. That's Clay Baker, Vinny Bonsignor, and Heidi Fang was talking about how excited he is. First time he's been this excited about a Raiders team since 2016. Matter of fact, if you're just tuning in, uh, this is what this is what uh, Jason Fitz had to say again. Clay was talking about 51 days until until the Hall of Fame game. And, wow, that's just right around the corner, which is unbelievable, right? But Jason Fitz, he took it a step further and started talking about his excitement level. I haven't been this excited about a Raiders team since 2016, and that was an aberration. I haven't been this excited about a team going into a season since the Super Bowl era. And I think what we need to start accepting and like really acknowledging as, as fans is you got 51 days left to just feel the hope, like all the way. Let it run through your veins. Let yourself love because, like, it, it's hard when you've watched a lot of bad seasons. It's hard for all of us to get hopes up when it feels like they're dashed. But, man, I've always been real about where I think this team is. And uh, this is, a, a, again, a top-five offense. And in today's NFL, offense wins early in the regular season particularly. I, I think the Raiders have a real shot to do something special this year. And the number of times – that I read and I see and I hear people talking about Super Bowl window, I, it just occurred to me the other day, like, I don't think we're acknowledging enough. Like, the Raiders might be one of a pack of great teams in the AFC, but they are one of a pack of great teams in, a, in the AFC. And if, if things yes. sound right, like, I, I think you, you're allowed to love the Super Bowl. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think this is a team capable of going to the Super Bowl this year, and I cannot believe I'm saying that. Jason Fitz, you can find him on Spain and Fitz on ESPN. You can find him all over the network doing college games. He's got that coming up right around the corner. He does a fantastic job. And uh, he was with uh, with the morning tailgate this morning around 8-something with Clay Baker, Vinny Bonsignor, and Heidi Fang. So we've been talking about the expectations. Are you pumped up? Are you fired up? You can hear the passion in Jason's voice. He is so fired up. Are you feeling like that? Or are you a little hesitant because of, well, you've been burned, uh, you know, in in years past when your expectations were really high. That's a question I've been throwing out there to you at 702-365-9200. And the Salmon Ash text line is 69187, keyword R&R. Geese Mode said on our text line, Q, I think I have PTSD with all the hope and letdown over the past two decades. I literally need to learn how to expect to win and celebrate a win because the just win baby mantra has been hollow to me as a millennial Raider fan. Let's blank and go. Raiders. And you know what? That is fair, too. 
You know, my son just turned 19 the other day, little Q. I don't know why I still call him little Q because he's one, he's taller than me, and now he's 19. So <laughs> at some point, I'm going to have to drop the little, but that's not the point. He's never really witnessed the Raiders team be great. Never really witnessed it. I mean, you know, think about it. The one team that he saw that was really good was 2016, but he also was there at the Coliseum with me when Derek Carr got hurt, and he was the one that asked, Dad, why is everybody so quiet when we left the game? And my other son, a little bit bigger Q, said, because the season's over. <laughs> I mean, that's what he said, straight up. I mean, he knew. Little Q was like, oh, okay, I got you. So he, he's never seen. So I understand what Geesmos is saying. Like, you know, a, a lot of younger folks, I mean, again, I'm 40, 45 going on 46. I've literally, I mean, 83 was when they won the Super Bowl. I mean, I was like seven. You know, I mean, Ari, you were like two. I was like seven, right? I wasn't even chasing girls yet, <laughs> let alone uh, Ari's like, you weren't? <laughs> I might have been. I might have been. But the point is, it's like, you know, I wasn't fully invested. So even at my age, I, I haven't witnessed greatness. Like, we'll have some folks call in and be like, man, I remember that 83 Super Bowl. I remember that. And, and go back through everything. And that's great. I love it. I'm glad that you have that experience. But the rest of us are riding on faith, riding on what we've either been taught, been told, what we've seen briefly, or just what we believe. So I understand, and that's why I asked the question. I think that Geese brings up a good point. 805 Raiders said we have to make the AFC Championship game. Anything less is a failure. In our last Super Bowl window, 2000-2003, we made the AFC Championship game two out of three years. 805 Raiders. That's a fantastic text. Because I've been talking about that window. You heard Jason Fitz talk about the window. I know a lot of people thought I was crazy when I was throwing that window conversation out there. It's, it's a real thing. 805 Raider just said, the last time the Raiders had a Super Bowl window, 2000-2003, we made the AFC Championship game two out of the three years. I like that. Let's go out to the phone lines real quick at 702-365-9200. Let's talk to our guy, Raider Reggie. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? Man, I feel like welcome back to the world up in this bad boy. What's going on, Q? I was also confused, too. Your, your new guy telling myself, what's up? He going to get to know me. But I didn't know who he was, and I was I was like, wait a minute. I, didn't, I wasn't sure I was on the right station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good. That's my guy, Ari. Yes, sir. What's going on, Ari? Hey, man, two things. I'm in the same, same type of thought process with the Raiders as I was with the Warriors. I worked for both teams before, and when I was working with them, they were winning. And even the Warriors, they didn't win a championship when I was with them, but we had the We Believe year, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm the same way right now. They was down, and it's time for them to get up and win this championship. And like you, I don't want Game 7 to even come up. <laughs> I need it to be over. Just be over. And with the Raiders, man, my expectations as a record – I'm expecting them to at least win 12 games. Mm. To me, that's successful as far as wins. But my man that said, was it 803, talking about they got to go to the championship? Dang right. They need to get to the uh, Western Conference Championship, let these fools know, the AFC West, that they they could contend for the – for the, the big game. That's mm-hmm. how you do it. You can't do it if you don't go to the uh, AFC championship. Yeah. So I, that's what I'm expecting, man. And I, I'm expecting some great things from this defense, too, man. So I'm standing here, man. I, I was in this heat all day. I was glad to get through. So, Q, I'm hoping this is a start of a, 
uh, a good run so I can get back on and people know that I'm still hanging in there with my Raiders, baby. There you go. But let's go with the only nation that I even accept outside of Raider Nation. Dub Nation stand up, dubs and six. Let's go. There it is right there. Raider Reggie fired up talking about them dubs, talking about the Raiders, and I'm with you, man. I don't want no parts of no Game 7. I don't want nothing to do with no Game 7. I know how exciting it is. I know the sports world will be ready. I can hear the headlines. I know what the radio, the radio show will be like. It'll be great. Nah, man. <laughs> I can feel. I can feel with something else. We can talk about something else. I don't need that fantastic content. No, thank you. I just want a dub, and I'll be happy with it. But, you know, hey, they'll play that game six on Thursday. Very excited about that. Uh, yeah, you know, AFC Championship game, man, if you get to the AFC Championship game, you're letting everyone know what's up. You really are. And, you know, going back to, uh, I believe, 805 Raiders, the one that, that was talking about the, the, the window from 2000 to 2003, getting to that championship game two out of three times, that's a big deal. You get to that AFC Championship game, man, you're cooking with grease. You're showing everyone that, that you got it. You got what it takes. What I like about the Raiders' setup, and John McClain, who joined us earlier in the show, he joined us at 3 o'clock, he said, hey, the Raiders have a chance to be a great team. Problem is that they play in a tough division, the toughest division in football. The thing about it is, and of course, we could talk ifs and buts all day, they've got to go ahead and do it on the field. If they can get through this gauntlet that is called the AFC West, if they can get through the gauntlet that is called the first five weeks of the season, if they can get through the gauntlet, which is called the last five weeks of the season, the Raiders could do some things. They'll be battle-tested. We're seeing what battle-testing does in the NBA Finals, right? How many times were the Celtics battle-tested and they're still battling back? They've been in multiple Game 7s. They've had their back against the wall. They were counted out early in the season. Back against the wall. Found ways to, to, to work themselves out of that corner. Now, I hope that, that comes to an end on Thursday. Let's make no mistake about it. But they were battle-tested, and that, that stands for something. That means something. If you go through the toughest division in football, just say you go and win the division. Now, again, we're saying a lot of ifs and buts here, you know, but that's what we do in June. All right, we're not talking about the regular season. The team's not, you know, 2-0, 2-1 or whatever, and then we're talking. No, this is what we're talking about right now in June. But just say they find a way to win the division. If you win the AFC West, who, who's going to beat you? That who, who are you going to play that you're concerned about? I mean, straight up, who would you play and be like, well, I know they won the AFC West, but I don't think they can beat them. Nobody. Nobody. Who's really great outside the AFC West? You can say the Bills, fine. You can say the, the Rams, it's fine. The Super Bowl champs, I'll give you that. There's other teams, of course. You can say the Cowboys are probably going to be really good. They got some weapons, you know. I mean, you can look at other division champs. You can say, you know, the, the, the 49ers, hell, they'll, they'll, even in the Rams division, they're going to be a tough team. That's fine. But if you find a way to win your division and you're playing in the AFC West, you have to feel pretty confident. There ain't no team on the, uh, on the schedule and in the league that you can't beat. When the Raiders were going through that magical season in 2016, I was doing a podcast, the Black Hole Banter podcast with my guy James Arcelana, and all we said every week going into every game, all the Raiders need to do is have a puncher's chance in this game and they can win. That's all you ask for. Like, right? We talk boxing. DeMond's got the fight game. All you talk about when you get into the ring is what? Having a puncher's chance. As long as you got a puncher's chance, you feel good about yourself. If I feel like I get in the ring and I'm not, I'm not like, oh, man, this is Tyson and I'm, I'm about to get cooked. You know what I mean? If I go in there and I feel like, hey, I can hang with these cats. It was like the first time that I was able to do sports radio when I was back in Central Texas. My old program director, David Smoke, said, I'm going to let you come in and do this show. I ain't got no money for you, but if you think you can hang with these guys, we'll put you on. 
I looked at those cats and said, <laughs> I looked at them cats and said, can I hang with them? With these guys? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to them, but I knew damn well. I said, oh, that's all I need to do. I got a job. You might as well go ahead and find, figure out what you're going to pay me. It took me one month to get on the payroll. That's all it took. All I had to do was feel like I had a puncher's chance. So if the Raiders feel like they have a puncher's chance, which they should, and if you go and win the AFC West, you have more than a puncher's chance. You're a top dog. And, hell, if you win the AFC West, you probably are, uh, are, are, are getting the first week, uh, first uh, round by and probably get to host the game. Again, that's, putting, that's good and way out in front of ourselves. But that's just taking that, that conversation a little further. 3.57 is the time. When we come back, we'll kick off hour number three of the show. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, he did a really good piece on ranking offensive lines. He had the Raiders at 29. We'll talk to him about why and how they can improve that. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.